Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. And welcome back to the Coffeehouse of this first episode of the new year. New year, new podcast. Eh, not exactly. <laughs> not exactly, no. We do have some exciting episodes planned for you this year, and we're starting all off with a lovely early romantic composer, Friedrich Kulau. Kulau was born in Ulsen, Germany in 1786. He had five other siblings, and he was the youngest. Kulau's heritage was full of musicians. Apparently, through all of his family history, 17 of his ancestors are reported to have been a professional musician in some capacity. His own grandfather and father were both professional musicians in the military band of the region, and their primary instrument was the oboe. Young Friedrich, or Fritz, as was his nickname, never actively seemed to be pushed into a musical career. In fact, there are no early records of what Kulau's parents envisioned for him in the future, despite being musicians themselves. When Kulau was seven years old, an incident that was described by Fritz himself as a stroke of luck occurred. Apparently, he was sent out to procure something or other for the family, perhaps water from the city fountain. The night was dark, and it was the middle of winter in Germany, so naturally there was some ice. And the small seven-year-old Fritz didn't stand a chance. As he was rushing back home, he slipped on the dangerous ice, fell, shattered the bottle that he had been tasked with carrying. Though he probably sustained some minor cuts and bruises from the fall, a much more serious injury occurred. Some of the shattered glass ended up lacerating Kulau's right eye. The injury was so bad that his eye had to be removed. The poor little boy was restricted to bed rest to recover from this incident. And what was he to do to entertain himself? Well, his parents thought learning to play an instrument might be just the distraction he needed. Now, this is all just conjecture on our part, but potentially the first choice of instrument for Kulau to learn at this time was the oboe to follow in his father's and grandfather's footsteps. However, having just had major eye surgery, that pressure needed to blow air into the instrument would have been contraindicated. So, in the end, for whatever reason, Kulau's parents gifted him with a keyboard that was placed next to his bed for him to practice during his months of recovery. It was this period of self-taught experimentation that launched Kulau into his musical career. Since he liked the piano and was good at it, when he was finally allowed out of bed, he began formal music lessons. And at this point, the family fortuitously moved to Hamburg. In this cultural hotspot, music teachers were readily available. So when he was 19 years old, Kulau began his studies with C.F.G. Schwenke. Schwenke himself had been a student of C.P.E. Bach, who was, of course, the son of J.S. Bach, so Kulau was learning from the best. Schwenke was notoriously strict with his pupils. However, after only four years of teaching Kulau, he famously proclaimed that he had no more to teach him. And so Kulau was set loose on the world to fill it with music. Some of his early works were piano sonatas, and they had attracted the attention of the famous Breitkopf and Hartel publishing house. As like most musicians, to bring in some extra cash, Kulau also worked as a piano teacher, and also got some work performing on the piano. 
and he was just getting settled into his career in Germany when another disaster struck. A certain little dictator was warring his way across Europe. In 1810, it was none other than Napoleon Bonaparte who invaded, and to avoid the war and having to join the military, Kulau fled to Copenhagen, Denmark. At this time in history, Denmark didn't really have its own musical identity. Most of its prominent musical culture was imported from the more southern European countries. However, they had a monarchy, and that means they had need of court musicians. Kulau was easily able to get a job within the court. However, since he was not a Danish citizen, this was a non-salaried position. Following his own immigration to Denmark, Kulau's parents and one of his sisters had also moved, and they needed supporting, so Kulau was looking to make more money from his music. The simple solution was to become a Danish citizen, which in 1813 is exactly what Kulau did. He went on to become somewhat of an early nationalist composer, writing operas and incidental music for plays such as The Robber's Castle and The Elf's Hill, which romanticized elements of Danish culture. And thanks to this cultural jumpstart, Denmark's art scene began expanding. This had paved the way for the so-called Danish Golden Age in the late 1800s. Kulau was a cosmopolitan personality and frequently traveled to other European cultural hubs, notably Vienna. Over several visits during the 1820s, Kulau and Beethoven actually became great friends. Following Kulau's first visit, one of Beethoven's other friends, Schlesinger, apparently commented in the deaf Beethoven's conversation book, quote, Kulau is a talented man, isn't he? End quote. During this conversation, though Schlesinger obviously admired Kulau's talents, he went on to call him a cyclops. Aww. <laughs> As we mentioned, Kulau's own performing instrument was the piano. However, for many years following his death, and even a little bit during his life, people thought he was also an accomplished flute player. He never played the flute in a performance setting, though he did know very well how to write for it. Due to the quality of his writing for the flute, Kulau is sometimes referred to as the Beethoven of the flute. Until the 1830s, Kulau did very well for himself. And in 1830, both of Kulau's parents died, leaving him alone in his house. Unfortunately, that didn't last long, and in 1831, the house burned to the ground. The smoke and debris from the fire got into Kulau's lungs and caused him a great deal of breathing difficulty from which he never recovered. And one year later, in 1832, his lung problems led to his eventual death. So now let's take a look at one of the pieces that earned Kulau his name of Beethoven of the Flute. These three fantasies for solo flute are three short solo pieces that were composed by Kulau in 1822. They represent another new genre of music for us to explore here on the Coffee House. New Year, New Genre. The idea of a fantasy or fantasia in music can be traced back to the medieval times. When the word was first used, it meant a musician, usually a lutenist, would take a popular song melody and improvise over it to really put on a show of skill. Fantasias were also popular during the Baroque era, often being paired together with more structured works like fugues. These Baroque fantasies often had an original melody as their base, but could have easily been based on extant melodies and songs. 
In the Romantic era, the fantasy was still a popular genre and was looked at by composers as a break from the normal, well-structured forms like sonatas that they were used to writing. Often, we see many different genre elements thrown into one fantasy, acting almost like an experimental playground for composers to try out new things but not be committed to a whole form. These three fantasies by Kulau embrace the idea of taking extant melodies and fancying them up. The first and third fantasies borrow their melodies from arias in Mozart's opera Don Giovanni, and the middle, second fantasy is from a canzonetta by Bianchi. Today, for brevity's sake, we'll only be looking at the first fantasy, based on Mozart's aria, Bati, Bati, O Bel Masetto. Now, it's important to not confuse this genre with a theme and variations, which is similar, but quite different. In a theme and variations, the melody is often first laid out simply and almost in its original form. But in Kulau's fantasy, and almost all fantasies for that matter, you can hear there is merely a suggestion of the bass melody, but already, right from the beginning, there are elaborate and fast scales and improvisatory elements. Another difference between a fantasy and a theme in variations is that a fantasy is stylistically more uniform throughout, or it will at least have gradual morphing transitions between different styles. A theme in variations often has numerous different sections to show different types of variations, and each time the melody is repeated and the style has a definitive change. As we have mentioned, one of the main ideas behind writing a fantasy is to show the virtuosity of the player. Part of being a good flute player is being able to not only play the high pretty notes well, but also have the lower registers sound just as good. Kulau frequently has the flutists play scales that span over two octaves, and thus forces the player to really showcase their low register. this is a fantasy and it's meant to be loose on form, Kulau still chose to break it up into three distinct sections that could almost stand alone as short works by themselves. An interesting thing Kulau does between each of the three sections to still make them sound uniform is to have each end with the preparation for a modulation and an unresolved cadence. In the first section, we are in the key of D major, however, near the end of it, Kulau starts having a modulation that is leading towards F major or D minor. The note he ends the first section on is A, which is the fifth of D or the third of F. And the resolution to that A only comes in the second section, at the start, with an F. This is a resolution from the first section in F major, but soon we hear the actual key of the second section is D minor. But that's fine, since that's the relative minor of F. And he does just the reverse, going from the second section to the third section, but again, his final unresolved note at the end is A. 
he seamlessly moves from the second section into some pickup notes for the third section that eventually land on D, showing that we have modulated back into our original D major. In a work such as this that is written for a solo instrument that cannot provide its own accompaniment, unlike a keyboard, a lot of pressure is put on the performer to play musically to hold the audience's attention. If they play robotically or without any musicality, the piece is at high risk of sounding just like a etude or a practice warm-up. Sometimes, no matter how well a performer plays, the piece will sound just like that anyway because of the way it's written. Kulau was not going to let that happen to any of his performers though, so he helped them out a little by writing his music to build some extra drama. In the second section, he uses diminished arpeggios in varying octaves, and then a fun technique of writing gradually slowing notes, such as eighth notes to quarter notes. This helps the performer have an idea of what musically should be going on, and imagine what perhaps a full orchestra with a conductor would be doing. However, a good performer will know that fantasy-type solo music is meant to have rubato, or pulling of the tempo. And even when just running eighth notes are written, they'll be able to follow the path of the phrase and speed up and slow down as needed to make it sound musical. And remember how we just told you that fantasies are different than theme and variations? Well, Kulau really tricks us all, as the third section of this fantasy is actually subtitled Aria with Variations. However, it's still tending toward the fantasy side of things, as we never really get a straight, unembellished melody even at the beginning. However, he still communicates the idea of theme and variations. We've heard the initial iteration of the melody, and then he has sudden shifts in writing style. Here, he goes from slow and plodding to fast and flying. And of course, since this is the grand finale, Kulau pulls out all the stops and asks the performer to go wild with virtuosic embellishments, articulated scales, and large octave leaps. So we hope you have been entertained by this virtuosic solo masterpiece by Kulau. If you've also been entertained by the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a review on iTunes and Google Play. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Fantasy Number 1 was performed by Paolo Del Moro. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 